Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Helen. And I'm Sarah. And you're listening to the Squiggly Careers podcast, where every week we talk about a topic to do with work to help you get a little bit more confident and feel a bit more in control of your career. And if it's your first time listening to the podcast, you do have a few episodes to catch up on. But don't worry, because every episode is supported with a pod note and a pod sheet. So you can listen and absorb and hear our stories and hear all the actions we've got for you. And then you can download the pod sheet and it will just help you a little bit more with your reflection and maybe it'll give you something to talk through with somebody else as well and today's episode is all about how to use experiments to be better at your job and when I was looking at some definitions of what an experiment is it all felt very sciencey and not very squiggly (laughs) (laughs) it's probably fair enough given it's where they came from I think (laughs) yeah and it's such a shame though because actually as we've started to, I guess, embrace experiments in the work that Sarah and I do, we've really seen the benefit of them, both for us in our jobs today, like how can we improve and try new things out in the job we're doing today and give yourself some space and permission to do that, but also how you can make some experiments for your career more broadly. And with that in mind, we want to share in today's episode lots of different ideas for action so that you can use experiments to be better at your job and to use them to help you explore your future a bit more too. Yeah, I think we have to let go in our mind, which I I can't help but create. You know, every time someone says experiment, I just think Bunsen burner. (laughs) (laughs) And that's really, yeah, I wasn't brilliant at science at school. And I just remember that being the one bit I always really enjoyed was when you got to get the Bunsen burners out. (laughs) Well, I got, I don't know if you know, I got a D in my science GCSE. Yeah, I retook it because I was so so embarrassed about it. (laughs) We took it over the summer and I got a C. (laughs) So not much better. But I was like, science is not, it was never my hot spot. Uh, So yeah, I also probably have a difficult relationship with the idea of experiments being sciencey. But now I've reframed them as being Mm. squiggly. I'm all for an experiment. I really like Margaret Heffernan's way of describing experiments. I found it really helped me to reframe what you're trying to achieve with them and why you'd spend time thinking about experiments. And she describes them as they're how we prototype the future we want to create, which I appreciate. That's not a very sort of everyday definition either, but I find that quite a, it's quite a propelling definition in terms of given the amount of uncertainty and change that exists in our careers and in our organisations, the idea of standing still, of things staying the same, 
probably feels unrealistic, but also not that motivating for most of us. So I always, I, I really like this idea of prototyping, of like trying stuff out. So you don't necessarily have to use the word experiment, but I think certainly the conclusion we've both come to is that though you can use different phrases, there is a lot about the process and the approach of experimentation that is really helpful to adopt as you're thinking about what this looks like for you in your job and in your career. Because I think we've both found, as we've been doing more experiments, where you maybe forget to do things or you you maybe don't approach an experiment in quite the right way, you miss out on some of the value. So that's one of the things that we also wanted to talk about today is almost how do you extract the most value from an experiment? I think there is some almost like fundamental building blocks that you have to have in place to make the most of them if, if you're going to really do this well and in a useful way. And I suppose there's the why bother. So if you're going to do these and you're going to learn, you're going to adapt and you're going to get insights, then what is the bigger benefit for us and our careers? So we've got four. So maybe if I do a couple, Sarah, and you do a couple for everyone, and then we'll hope that we'll have convinced you to take some effort with your experiments. So the first way that experiments can help you is they can help you to get unstuck. So they're a bit of a forcing function for you to do something differently. Often in our careers, we can find ourselves just doing things the way we've always done it before because that's maybe a bit easier or you're on autopilot because you're trying to do so much stuff and at times when our careers change around us that can lead us to getting a bit stuck but experimentation particularly when you almost plan to do it is a forcing function for you to do things differently and create new opportunities new ideas the second thing that an experiment can help you with is it can reduce perfection pressure. And I have really appreciated this because when you think about something as being an experiment, it doesn't need to be perfect. You don't need to get it right. And you're giving yourself permission basically to learn. It's like intentionally learning. And even if it fails, there's something I can learn from failure, which takes the pressure off everything always succeeding and going the way you always want it to, because it's not really about that. And the third reason why experiments are so helpful is I think they give us the opportunity to almost have unconstrained curiosity. And perhaps even before unconstrained curiosity, I think most of us acknowledge that we probably need just more curiosity generally in the work that we do and in our jobs because it so often gets deprioritized. And there's a brilliant Harvard Business Review article called Building a Culture of Experimentation. And in that article, which we'll link to in the show notes, there's a quote that says, Everyone in the organisation from the leadership down needs to value surprises. And I quite like that idea because that it almost is quite a challenging statement because, you know, you often hear, and I've definitely heard this from people I've worked for, you know, I don't like surprises. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to be surprised. And I, I understand that sentiment. But that idea of going, oh, we're surprised. Perhaps that worked better than we expected. And not just thinking, okay, fine, and move on to the next thing. But why did that work better than expected? Or that really didn't work, but we thought it would. So what does that tell us? That sort of curiosity and inquiry that I think comes from ex successful experiments. And actually, there are some really good HBR articles on experiments, which we'll refer to a couple of others later, but they're worth reading because I found those really helpful as we were preparing for today. And then the final reason why we thought it might be helpful to think a bit like a sort of squiggly scientist is about finding out your fit before you commit, which unintentionally rhymes. And this is really when we're looking at experiments through the lens of where your career could take you. So I think, as Helen described, you've got experiments in your day job to do a better job of the role you're doing right now. And then you've got, well, how could you experiment with exploring your possibilities about thinking about your career? And if there's a role that you're interested in, 
thinking about or a career change that you're exploring thinking about what could you experiment with so how could you start side projects or volunteer or work on some campaigns or causes that just help you to experiment with does that squiggle feel like it's going to be a good fit for me and I actually thought when we were um, researching this, one of my friends, uh, Becky, is a scientist, as in like a real life like a scientist. <laughs> Not a she's got like a career scientist, no, a one. <laughs> she's got like a PhD and everything. She's also, interestingly, a very successful squiggler. So I was like, oh, she's like a scientist crossed with a squiggly career person. She's gone from being a scientist to working in consulting. She's worked in really big charities and she now runs her own shop which is called The Greenhouse, and a place called Ripon, which is in Yorkshire here in the UK. And it's all about sort of renewable, and it's sort of an eco-friendly, very accessible shop. And she's sort of building that from scratch, having never run a shop before, started her own Instagram, again, which she's never really done anything on social media before. And I was chatting to her and just said, do you think your sort of scientist brain has helped you with squiggling? I don't think she'd ever quite thought of it in that way before. But then it was really interesting because she said... I treat each squiggle like an experiment and I hadn't told her what we were going to be talking about. And she said, it means I stay objective and curious rather than feeling like a failure if it's not a complete success. Mm. And all experiments are useful if you approach them in the right way. And then she shared loads of really good top tips with me on like applying her scientist brain to squiggling. And I thought, right, that is absolute gold. So we're going to take lots of that and we'll perhaps turn it into um, a LinkedIn article. I'll perhaps ask her to write a few of those things. We'll put those things on Instagram. But you'll hear a few more examples from her as well as we get into our top tips. But I just thought it was interesting to sort of find a person who sort of had both of those things. That was me testing my hypothesis that if you're a scientist, you can squiggle successfully, which I've decided is true. (laughs) (laughs) So we've got eight top tips for you now so that you can put this idea of experiments practically into action in your career. And we'll talk them all through in turn and try to bring them to life as much as possible for you. So tip number one is to always have a hypothesis. This does go back to like science at school stuff, really. You need to know what you're trying to prove or disprove. Otherwise, it's just sort of doing something because you can do it. But you've got to really understand what is it you're trying to learn by doing something differently. Yeah, I had a previous manager who was very good at always saying, what's the essay question here? Or, you know, be really clear about what's the problem you're trying to solve. And sometimes I think we are so keen to get started. Maybe particularly if you're a doer, we've talked before about thinkers versus doers. And so often our tendency is to jump straight into action, you know, to feel like we're making progress. And I think if we haven't got the clarity on the question and the hypothesis, you've sort of skipped a really important stage. And I've a few times, I'm a natural thinker, so I always want to do this. I'm I'm naturally drawn to spending some time figuring this out. But a few times I can think of examples in my career where I haven't, and I haven't because there's been that pressure to make progress. So I was just like, oh, I sort of think I broadly know what I'm trying to achieve, so I'm just going to get started. And then things have got messy and taken longer and I've really regretted it. I can can think of some really specific projects where I haven't done this and they've been experiment type projects. And then I've gone back and almost had to, you know, almost like connect some dots in, in sort of slightly unhelpful ways. And people have asked questions where I thought I should know the answer to that, but I don't because we, we just sort of try to get tasks done too quickly. 
I think as well, when you're trying to test something and you're trying to have a hypothesis, it's useful if you're trying to just sort of test one thing at a time. So yeah. let's say I'm mm. I'm testing a new way of presenting and I think, oh, what I'm going to do today is I'm going to practice and experiment with a new presentation software. So I'm not going to use PowerPoint. I'm going to do something completely different. And at the same time, I'm going to experiment with standing up when I present rather than just sitting down. And I'm going to experiment with only asking questions, not giving answers. And so you're kind of doing, yeah, it's a lot. It's quite a lot for you to do, but it also makes it a bit harder to learn because the feedback that you'll get, and we'll talk about feedback as part of our tips, but the feedback that you'll get, it'll be hard to know which one of the things was working. So when you have a hypothesis, something you want to test, just make sure it's quite focused or you might not be able to learn a lot from it because it will all, it'll all just kind of get become one of the same thing. But to give you an example of something that we were trying to sort of test and experiment with, one of the bits of insight that we had have is, and if you're a regular listener, you'll probably know this, we produce quite a lot of assets, you know, a podcast a week, a pod sheet a week, lots of different sessions, lots of different social media posts. And we had had some insight that it can be difficult for people to find the so much stuff that people sort of don't know where to start with some of the squiggly resources that we put out into the world, which is maybe a nice problem to have, but you know, we want to make it easy for people to get the help they need. And so we were experimenting with, could a squiggly career knowledge navigator be a useful tool? And so I started with a prototype, which was a PDF that basically started with a question that people had, and then did a little one of those flow charts, you know, do you need to know this? Do you not know this? Yes, no. And it sort of navigated them to the resource that would be most helpful for them and doing it as a pdf meant that it was something i could do quite quickly and we got the thing we were trying to test was was this useful in light of the insight we'd had about people finding what they needed to know was this a useful way of helping people to navigate the squiggly career knowledge we put out there and the answer was a big yes loads and loads of people loved it now do i think that that is the right tool no but do we now know that some kind of knowledge navigator maybe it sits on our website in the future or maybe you know it's a bottle we don't know what it is but that idea of knowledge navigator is definitely useful for people and we had the hypothesis and we put something into the world that sort of proved that point so our second top tip for experimenting is have an execution to experiment scale and this is something that has worked really well for us at amazing if so we're essentially sharing something that we've been doing because we see how helpful it is and ironically this is not an exact science even though we're, we're sort of learning from scientists today but in everybody's job i think you have a range of projects that you're doing as part of your role and some of those projects are not the place to experiment. And now somebody might argue differently with me. I don't know. Someone might say maybe we should have experiments as part of everything that we're doing. But certainly in our experience, what we found is there are certain things where it's much more about execution. It's about getting things as close to right first time as you possibly can. Maybe it's about more incremental improvements. Maybe it's more about efficiency. And that's what you're trying to achieve with those things. And almost being clear about what's at that end of the scale. Maybe what are the projects you've got that do sit more in the middle, where there's some opportunity to experiment, perhaps with a certain part of what you're doing. To Helen's point, you know, you can have really small experiments. And then there might be projects as a whole where the whole project is an experiment. Like so everything about it is about experimenting. And I think having that very clearly understood for yourself, but also having those conversations as a team and with your manager can be really useful. So we found that really, really helpful in terms of just the conversations we're having within our Amazing If team. 
So at one end of the scale, we've had an experiment project, which has been our Squiggly Career Advocates Programme. And that has been a nine month experiment. So that's definitely kind of one end of that experiment scale that we were talking about, experiment to execution scale. Then in the middle, we probably have things like our workshops where we're continually trying to find small kind of micro experiments about how can we experiment with either maybe it's new technology, new ways of getting feedback, new ways of people interacting in those workshops. So there'd be, let's say in an average workshop, there's a lot about just executing and doing a brilliant job, but there might be one thing that we're experimenting with. And then there are some things which is all just about executing, where it's maybe something that we've done before and we just need to get right. Perhaps it's things like after we've done workshops, we send out playlists of things to read, watch and listen to. And we just want those to work effectively. We want all the hyperlinks to be correct. And we want our partners who we work with to get those really quickly. So there's not loads of room to experiment with those right now. And it doesn't mean that that's not a dynamic scale and that things don't change. But I think so often we sort of don't look at our role through the lens of that execution to experiments. And just by us doing that, I think we have done some things differently, but also identified more opportunities to experiment as a result. I'm just in listening to you, I've got a matrix emerging in my mind, Sarah, because oh, no. that's how my weird little brain works. Whereas oh, I was thinking, um, it's I might put this into... Monday morning matrix. We're recording some <laughs> Monday, Monday morning, morning matrix. Just what everyone needs in their lives. I was thinking about, I might share this in Pod Plus this week, actually, if anyone who's listening that wants to come and see the matrix in action. But I was thinking about autopilot and adaptability. So, for example, I don't think executing on autopilot is great for people because that's where, you know, you might make mistakes you might get kind of get bored you might miss opportunities whereas actually executing and adapting in some way so you're getting feedback it's not you know executing is not a bad thing but you kind of want to be able to adapt a bit as well and I think that also experimenting and being adaptable that's when you're going to learn the most so you're taking those insights and you're doing something different with them I feel like that might be a really interesting spot I'm going to play around with this matrix we'll Hmm. see come to pod plus maybe I'll experiment with a matrix and people can give me some feedback (laughs) is that experimenting on experimenting well one thing for you to think about as you're designing your matrix I was just reflecting on there is I wonder maybe based on our experiences in our career so far and your tolerance to failure, like how frequently have you failed before, probably really impacts how you feel about experimenting more frequently. Because I think certainly when I've reflected on this for myself, working in quite big organisations, where I wouldn't say there's a real culture of experimentation, I don't think that's that unusual. I've done some jobs that had more experimenting in and that's probably helped me. But even the idea of failing like feels quite hard for a lot of us. Whereas probably there are some people who have done jobs or maybe been in certain organisations where there's more of an experimentation culture. So I think we're all going to bring our own sort of sense of how do we feel about experimenting? How uncomfortable is it going to make us feel? How stretched will we be? And I think just recognising that is helpful because I've certainly found we have done so much more intentional experimenting in Amazing If over the last year. And I found that much, much easier now than I did 12 months ago. If I think about where we were 12 months ago with it, I still found it really difficult. This almost like the idea of some things will fail along the way and you're a bit less in control. 
So I think you have to let go of a bit of control, which I always find quite hard. Uh-huh. So I think there might be like a feelings element to the matrix as well, just to add in a new dimension. Well, I'll, I'll play around. I'll play around ha- with fun. it and we'll see. Yeah, well, I'll have fun. Uh, well, experiments can be fun. <laughs> so the third idea for action and kind of tip for you to take away is all about labelling and letting people know when you're experimenting. So, for example, let's take that idea forward that I am going to do something with this matrix and it's going to happen in Pod Plus the week that this podcast comes out. So that's every Thursday morning, nine o'clock. And I don't let people know. So I go, here's a model and I talk it through and people are thinking, this model does not make sense. (laughs) This is not a helpful model. Helen's gone a bit rogue. That's not really helpful for them. It's not really helpful for me. Whereas if I said to people, oh, I'm just going to try a new tool out that I've been experimenting with to see whether it helps to bring any clarity to this topic. Let me talk it through. And I bring it to life for people. Then I'm sort of getting more buy-in from people. They know that they know what I'm doing. They're sort of primed that it might not be perfect that takes the pressure off me and then I can just sort of say to people so you know what do you think does it work does it not work and so when you label and let people know it's sort of better for them and better for you it means that you're priming them for feedback and you're taking that pressure off from people at the same time I do this quite a lot in workshops actually and I'll say to people, oh, I'm trying something out for the first time today. I'd love to get your thoughts on it. I feel like it's just better for everybody when you label and let people know that an experiment is coming. Well, even yesterday, you shared with me something that we're going to try on Instagram over WhatsApp. When you shared it with me for some feedback, you were very clear. We are experimenting with XXX. And then you would got a specific question for me that you wanted me to feed back on. And I found that really helpful because... If I had looked at that through an execution lens, my feedback would have been very different to when I looked at it through an experiment lens. And so then I could be much more helpful for you. And also you you do have more freedom, I think, when you're experimenting. You're like, oh, I get we're trying some new stuff out here. Let's think about how we can be helpful for each other. What's going to be useful at this point? Because we never want to slow experiments down. We want to kind of get them out into the world because until you get it out in the world, you can't learn from it. So of course you want your hypothesis first, but you were very clear in describing to me, well, what are we trying to do here? And then saying, oh, what do you think about this? I was like, let's do that thing. And then very quickly we moved on. I mean, we did that over two or three messages in WhatsApp. So I think that was a good example of where you'd labeled something. And I actually didn't know that beforehand. So if you hadn't told me that, I think you'd have got a very different response from me. Mm. Probably not a WhatsApp message, probably more of a voice message. Yeah. Which probably... <laughs> it definitely controls the critique. And obviously Sarah is, is Sarah loves giving feedback. So I think <laughs> I actually particularly find it quite helpful because it's sort of like hold the critique and help me with the experiment. Yeah. Is a slightly different positioning of the support that I need, particularly from Sarah on certain points. Other points, I'll be like, look, we need to put this out for lots of critique because it's going to be a big part of what we're doing in the future. And that's a very different lens that I'm asking Sarah to look through. And I think that's the point here. You're giving someone a lens to look through that's going to be useful with what you're trying to learn from the experiment. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. 
That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. And so our tip number four is about finding your experiment energizers. So I was reflecting on the most successful experiments that I feel like I've run or been part of, either in my jobs or thinking about my career and my career possibilities. And I do think there are some people who are naturally brilliant at experiment energizing. They are the people who help you to build better experiments. And that's because they ask really good questions. They motivate you. They're really good challengers. Often they're on your side and they're sort of trying to support you to succeed. You know, there are some people where I think every time I spend time with that person, if I'm trying to do something new or that's making me a bit uncomfortable or that might fail... I feel like just spending time with that person will make that experiment better because perhaps they'll remind me that I've not been clear about the hypothesis or perhaps they'll just ask me a question about, well, are you clear about how you're going to measure the right things as part of this process? And they've got the confidence and the clarity to do that. Always easier to not be in it, isn't it? It's always easier to be an experiment energizer than sort of running it yourself. But I do think some people have this as their natural super skill. They sort of appreciate the opportunity to like, it's quite playful. Actually, mm. when you read about experimenting, and I was watching a really good TED talk, again, from um, a Nobel Prize winning scientist. And he actually talked about, like, there's even the word play in the TED talk description. And this idea of being quite playful and having that freedom when it comes to experiments, I think is quite important. I was reflecting that often I'm naturally, my tendency might be to sort of be a bit of a solo experimenter. So I think I really enjoy experiments but quite often by myself. And there's a few challenges to that. Sometimes it means you hold on to your ideas too tightly. But I've learned, I think my experiments are always better when it's not just me. But that could just be one other person or it could be 50 people and that might change throughout an experiment. And so when we've been doing things like we've done some squiggly career stories over the past four or five months where we've been asking people to do a sort of video story of their career so far. And that's been a really small team of us sort of experimenting with those and making those happen. But I've also ran that idea past a few people outside of Amazing If. And those people have different roles, I think. Some people are more about making that experiment happen, like our Amazing If team are there to make that experiment happen. But those external people are the people who've made me think, oh, maybe we could do this in a slightly different way. Or have we thought about, or what would happen if, you know, all of those really useful questions that I think just propel your experiment into new areas, new territories, encourage you to explore as many different things and learn as many different things as you can as you're going. 
So if you're thinking about yeah, whether it's for your career or your job, it's sort of that question that we come back to for a few different areas, I think, is like, have you got the right people around you? Someone actually emailed me after a workshop last week and I was talking about, oh, one of my strengths is I love starting stuff from scratch. I love a blank piece of paper. And they emailed me afterwards sort of saying, oh, like, how? How, how do you do that? Because they were sort of saying, you know, I'm the opposite. And it was so interesting because then this person also said, oh, I want to sort of experiment and have some like new ideas, but also I've got a deadline of three weeks. And I was like, okay, well, you're putting yourself under a lot of pressure to try and experiment if you've got very clear deadline and also very clear outcomes. And so I think almost choosing those experiments and then choosing the right people around you, they feel like really important things to notice as you're thinking about experiments. And when you mentioned there about freedom, experiments and freedom, it made me think actually because freedom is one of my values and I do really like experiments and I kind of like having the space to go and do those things and run with them. And I think if you are an individual who also identifies with freedom as a value, if you're in a manager of somebody who in your team has freedom as a value, giving them some space to experiment or giving yourself permission mm. to experiment is probably going to be quite fulfilling for you because it's going to give you what you need in terms of your values. So our fifth top tip then for helping you to be your squiggly career scientist is all about collecting feedback fast and frequently. And I think this is probably the one area, well, there's lots of areas I could improve on, but this is probably top of my list. So whenever you've got your hypothesis and you do your experiment and you're bringing people in, all the things we've talked about so far, what's really important is that once you've done your experiment, you get some feedback. You've got to work out, was it impactful? Did it help you learn about the thing that you wanted to learn about if you move on too quickly from an experiment onto the next thing then you've missed an opportunity to gather the insight that will help you know whether this was useful to do or not and so think about well who do I need to get feedback from maybe if you're doing that thing with presenting maybe it's somebody who was in the meeting and actually you probably want to do that quite quickly whilst they can remember what you did get lots of feedback and get it as close to the moment as you can I was actually thinking Sarah about an experiment that we are doing at the moment with somebody new in our team so because our business is growing quite quickly and because we're a small business so people do lots of different things we often experiment with roles that we need in the team and so we're just bringing somebody new into the team on a seven week learn and see role which is about us experimenting with is this the role that we need from the business and that person that we're doing experiment with is thinking is this the right role and opportunity for me so we're both kind of doing this experiment together and what we have got in place is a the period of time so it's seven weeks so we know we're going to get feedback at the end of it but every two weeks we're having a kind of a review a catch-up and review as part of this learn and see period to work out what's working well what's not working what could be even better if during this period of time and I don't know whether at the end of seven weeks that's going to be the right job for us and whether it's going to be the right opportunity for someone else but we've been really transparent about that we're getting lots of feedback along the way and it's helping us to the aim really is to learn and we'll put that insight into action after the end of the seven week period so I think that is another example for us an experiment we've got going on in the business but where we're collecting lots of fast and frequent feedback too. I think what's so nice about that experiment as well is it's sort of the opposite of what you'd automatically assume that you do in that scenario so usually if you needed some quick help often those like contracts for employing someone are quite transactional mm. you know you go with like okay need a freelance person or someone who can just come in and 
solve a problem for a bit and it's almost like the last thing that you do is learn and see because you just if you were thinking about where would that naturally sit on an execute to experiment you'd go oh it's about execute yeah fix it fast it's not learning to use it yeah (laughs) yeah now you know I get that sometimes that might also be right but what I think you've done such a brilliant job of identifying here is well we do have an opportunity to experiment you know it's not so urgent that somebody has to just go in and work their way through a list of 15 things one to 15 as quickly as they can we are figuring out a role and we'll figure out what's the right role and we've got a lot of questions and you can think about that for a long time but probably the best way to learn we're finding is by doing and to get people started so and also you want to be your point about transparency is really important because if somebody coming to work with us thought it was about executing and we think it's about experimenting then you're going to get a real mismatch of experience and expectations very quickly. Mm. So I think it's also a really nice challenge to think for yourself, you know, where you might default, you know, we can't help but sometimes default to, oh, we've always done things in a certain way. So that feels like that's an an execute. It's just to always just press pause for that five minutes and just go, is it or could it be an experiment? And sometimes the answer might be, well, not now. Mm. And I think sometimes it might be not this year, but not now doesn't mean kind of not ever. There's definitely a period of time where six or nine months ago, we would have had a not now answer to that exact same question. But it's really good that we're sort of continually revisiting that. And it's that unlearning and relearning, isn't it? Mm. That you've got to get good at, I think, with experimenting. So our sixth tip for experimenting is about aiming low which sounds counterintuitive potentially, but also quite appealing, I think, in our world of relentless high expectations of ourselves and each other. And this is some borrowed brilliance from Jim Collins, who you might have heard me interview previously on the podcast. And what he describes is that when you're figuring out experiments and when you're designing experiments, essentially, try and make them as low cost, low risk and low distraction as possible. And then once you sort of validate what works and what doesn't, then make sure you really concentrate on the things that you've got confidence in. And this comes from his book, Great by Choice. And really what he's talking about here is almost designing businesses and designing business models. But I think you can then apply this to where your career could take you or when you're thinking about experiments, you know, as part of your day job. I think it's sometimes quite hard to do low risk, low cost and low distraction to tick all of those three boxes. But it's a good ambition to have. I thought about this quite a lot yesterday as I was kind of reading about this. And I was like, oh, the best experiments probably do need to start in this way because then it helps to get something off the ground. Because if it's high in any of those areas, it just makes it much harder. And so I was trying to think, what's our best example of a low, 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 like low cost, low risk, low distraction? And I was thinking probably just our business as a whole. Um, Almost like is the longest, lowest risk experiment probably I've ever done in that when we started Amazing If, it was low cost in that it didn't cost us anything to start Amazing If. We didn't have loads of investors, and we still don't. (laughs) And we didn't put lots of money into it. It was low risk in that if Amazing If hadn't worked, and lots of versions of Amazing If didn't work, and lots of things that we did didn't work, it sort of didn't matter to anyone really other than us. And it was low distraction. We'd still both got our day jobs from 2013 until January 2020 that was the period of time where we were both still doing at least one of us was still doing other things and so as a way to I mean Jim would probably say that's too long (laughs) (laughs) there's sort of there's probably a point I'm sure where like low risk and low distraction becomes sort of unhelpful but if you're thinking about it as the 
well, did it do the job? Did that experiment of Amazing If do the job of figuring out whether something worked or not so that we could then have confidence in, in what we were then going to deliver as a business? It did that. But it did take us quite a long time to get to that point because we had other priorities and we had other things that we were doing. So it was sort of probably on a very sort of dramatic end of the low scale. But equally, when I think about things that I've done in my job before, where you've been trying to experiment with getting something new off the ground, again, if you can just make it low, like aim quite low, you know, almost like prototype. People talk about minimum viable products, don't they? Like, what's your MVP? I think if you can get your MVP and your prototype out as quickly as you can, it just helps you to get underway and to start learning. It's one of the things I always think you're really good at. You know, you won't procrastinate. You'll just be like, your assumption is, can I make a PDF out of it? I always feel like is your starting point. That is so true. Do you know what? And as you were talking, I was thinking about, do you remember a while ago, Sarah, that Christmas where we decided to create something like 50 amazing if ideas for action. Do you know when we did it? This is years ago. This is like 2013 or 2014 or something. No, and we what, produced, what was it again? And it was so a PDF. Was... We're like 50... Oh no! Amazing I do ideas for action. Do you remember? I do. And, and that was a relative like low cost. It was just me and Sarah. Oh, and, no, on, I know. I know what you're PowerPoint. going with the story now. Oh <laughs> I, no! I wasn't gonna. I wasn't gonna bring in the bad bit. I oh, will okay. now bring in the bad bit because Sarah just brought it up. Which is basically there was some design challenges between the two of us. But we we resolved those. My point was more that that didn't cost us anything because it was just sort of our time over a Christmas period. It was pretty low risk. It didn't really matter if it didn't work. And we sort of did it during the holidays. I think it was pre-kids as well. So it didn't really take away from work. But getting that out into the world was actually, I think, an early version of us testing sort of useful ideas for action, which has now become a really big part of our business and, you know, part of our values. But I think it was an early experiment towards that. Yeah, and our learning from that is don't use two different versions of PowerPoint and not tell each other about it because it creates arguments. (laughs) (laughs) I do also remember that too. (laughs) So tip number seven is to measure what matters to you. If you're going to do experiments, you really do need to embrace the data. You've got to work out, you know, what are you going to measure? But it does need to be meaningful to you. I I quite enjoy this bit because I think you can create your own metrics. It doesn't have to be the conventional things. It could be, you know, how happy does it make you or how useful? You know, that's one of our metrics that matters to us. With Squiggly Career Advocates, one of the experiments that Sarah mentioned, we wanted to understand whether bringing that community together helped them to kind of amplify and accelerate their working career development and that was a metric that mattered to us because our mission is to make careers better for everybody and so that was one of the things that we measured when that community sort of concluded recently and so defining what the data that you want to measure is is really important and I think the earlier you can do that the better because then you can make sure that you can measure it otherwise if you're doing at the end and you're thinking I wouldn't have been amazing if we could have measured this then it's a little bit too late whereas if you know it from the outset then you can sort of design around the data you're trying to collect this is my personal biggest even better if I think by some margin I spent a lot of time thinking about experiments because I find this really interesting and I think there's lots of value in this for all of us and I think so often I think of this way too late and then you've missed the moment this idea of I think I miss the moment too frequently if you miss the moment you miss opportunities to learn you've not been clear about measuring what matters early enough and then you miss the moment to collect it and then it's sort of too late it's that capturing value again that I think sometimes I need to get a lot better at 
And I was talking to my squiggly scientist friend, Becky, our go-to guru for this episode, though um, I don't think she quite expected that to happen, but that is what happened, <laughs> as I started firing loads of messages at her. And she was saying to me, so obviously she's running a shop for the first time, having never done that before, and she has a shop diary on her phone, which is her way of tracking not only all of the data, and she is a bit of a spreadsheet whiz, and so I've got no doubt she'll have all of the facts and all the figures, but interestingly, she's also tracking her feelings. So one of the things that she's identified already is enjoyment is a big part of the reason that she's doing this this squiggly career experiment and so when she then has a choice or a decision to make about is this something I want to keep doing do I want to renew the lease on that shop she'll have data both in the form of facts and feelings together and what I noticed about that which I thought yeah that's really good is that she's done that from the start and from scratch and she's really committed to that every day is something to continually keep coming back to so that in that moment where she needs it it's all ready for her to reflect on and our final idea for action so number eight and we will do a quick recap for you in a second is to celebrate successful experiments not successful outcomes i love this tip it's my favorite one sarah yeah the best to last let's hope people are still (laughs) listening by this point otherwise it's like a bit of a waste isn't it and this does come from one of the hbr articles both helen and i have read is One of the biggest barriers, or probably the biggest barrier to experiments in organisations is not capacity, it's culture. So everyone will probably say, I haven't got time for this, and I understand that. But I think often there is this sense of maybe organisations generally, and organisations are just the people, saying, oh, you know, we want to be ambitious, we want to try new things out. But for every experiment that succeeds, probably about 10 don't. That looks apparently is about the average. And if your emphasis as a team or if as a leader, you're setting a kind of culture which is more about efficiency or predictability or winning in quite a binary way, then experiments feel wasteful. They don't feel like a useful way for people to spend their time. And so I think this doesn't have to be you changing an organisational culture overnight, but this could be about you reflecting on your role and your team and thinking, are we creating an environment where we are encouraged to experiment, where we are supported to experiment at least some of the time? And I think this is probably the biggest win that we've had in Amazing If is I don't think we'd intentionally not done this, but I don't think we'd intentionally done it either. And therefore, those experiments don't just happen. I think you have got to decide that this is a useful thing for your team or for your organisation. This is going to help you to create new value to spot new opportunities to be better and I think we are seeing that I think that's probably why Helen and I are is probably a bit of a longer episode because we're really passionate about this and we can see the value that it's brought to a how much we're enjoying our roles but also the value that we're offering in terms of delivering on our purpose to make careers better for everyone and so I think as part of this you have got to think about well what does a successful experiment look like so have you done all those steps that we've talked about the hypothesis labeled it you've let people know you've thought about the metrics that matter you've got your fast feedback have you done all of those things and if you've done all those things and it's failed that is a successful experiment because it's all about learning and being curious so let's just recap then on those eight top tips so that you can put experiments into action in your job today and to help you with your career number one always have a hypothesis number two explore your execution to experimentation scale three Label them and let people know. Four, find your experiment energizers. Five, collect feedback fast and frequently. Six, aim low. Seven, measure what matters to you. And eight, 
celebrate successful experiments, not successful outcomes. So we hope you found that a useful episode. We would love to hear any experiments that you're running or anything that you've done to help more experiments happen in your teams or your organisations. Anyone we can borrow brilliance from, we're always very open to that. And if you do have two minutes to rate, review, subscribe to the podcast or to share it with someone else, that really helps us to scale squiggly. And plus, we love reading all of your reviews. So if you get one minute this week to do that, we'd be very grateful. So you can send those experiments through to Helen and Sarah at squigglycareers.com or just get in touch with us on Instagram where we're at amazingif. But thank you so much for listening today, everybody. Speak to you again soon. Thanks, everybody. Bye for now. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 